This is a Brain Channel program from the Department of Neurosciences at the UC San Diego School of Medicine. Visit us at uctv.tv brain to explore cutting-edge research, treatment options for conditions related to the nervous system, and the inner workings of the human mind. Good morning. It's really a privilege and an honor to be here to speak with you. Um, I would like this to be a, a, a discussion where you can feel free to ask questions as I, as I go through my slides. Um, this is an introductory slide that you've probably seen dozens or uh, dozens of times, if not more. Um, but I want to use this slide to draw some parallels with Alzheimer's disease, which is the focus of um, part of this talk. Down syndrome was first described as a syndrome in 1866, and it took uh, almost 100 years for it to be able to be diagnosed with uh, testing. Um, a medical advance that really has been critical to understanding Down syndrome as a condition. The same is true really with Alzheimer's disease. Today, in the world that we live in, the 21st century, Alzheimer's disease is also described only clinically. And there's no real gold standard test that would say this person has Alzheimer's disease. There are scans and blood tests, and there are a lot of advances in the field of biomarkers. But it took 100 years for this to happen in Down syndrome, and hopefully not as long in the field of Alzheimer's disease. The incidence is 1 in 800 live births, and there are 350,000 people in the United States with Down syndrome. There are over 6 million people worldwide with Down syndrome. I want to spend a few minutes talking about some neurological issues that are associated with Down syndrome. These include vision, hearing, hormonal issues, spinal cord issues, sleep apnea, which is a very common condition also in the general population, and seizures. Three quarters of all people with Down syndrome have what's called a refractory error. This sounds serious, but it's really just the need for glasses and correcting their vision. Very common in the typical population. Strabismus, where there's a misalignment of the eyes, occurs in more than half. And cataracts occur in about 70% of people. Each of these issues can impair one's ability to function, to do their job, to go to school, to do all the things that they want to be doing. And so it's very important that vision is checked routinely. When you see your primary care physician, remind them that the last visit for the optometrist or ophthalmologist was on what date and, and ensure that this is followed up. Because refractory errors, strabismus, and cataracts are all treatable conditions. <clears throat> Hearing issues are also quite common. There can be hearing loss. It can affect one ear or both. It can be either an issue with the bones in the inner ear or the nerves within the, the, um, uh, aud the optic and auditory system. Or it could be recurrent infections, inner ear infections, that can lead to hearing issues. Hearing should be checked every two years. A lot of adults with Down syndrome, a lot of children with Down syndrome have hearing aids which resolve a lot of the hearing issues. You could imagine hearing issues affecting one's ability to understand what's going on around them and remember things that have occurred because they didn't catch it in the first place. This is a common issue in the typical population, 
as well as in Down syndrome. <clears throat> hormonal issues. Hormonal issues are quite common, and there's a hormone that all of our bodies make, the thyroid hormone. And the thyroid hormone is, is the, one of the master glands in the body. It's secreted by the thyroid gland, and it sets our body weight, it sets our body temperature, it sets our energy levels. And in Down syndrome, there seems to be an increased risk of producing less of this hormone for various causes. This is a common condition and can be easily treated. And so it's very important to make sure that if you hear symptoms from somebody with Down syndrome of uh, rapid weight gain, brittle nails, lethargy, sensitivity to cold, or excessively dry skin, to have it evaluated. <clears throat> diabetes, also quite common. There are actually two types of diabetes, type 1 and type 2. I'm sure many of you in the audience are familiar with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Adults with Down syndrome are at an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes, which is associated with obesity. As there's obesity, there seems to be a resistance to the actions of the hormone insulin. And diabetes carries with it many comorbidities, including stroke, retinal disease, heart disease, and so on. <clears throat> sleep apnea. How many of you in this audience have heard of sleep apnea or are familiar with it? Yeah, in the last 20 years, sleep apnea has really become well understood. And I think it was a very small clinic at Stanford University that devoted itself to sleep and was also doing research, a combination of clinical work and research together that really advanced this field of, uh, of sleep disorders. And there are many of those. One of them is sleep apnea, where an individual stops breathing during sleep. And we call this obstructive sleep apnea or hypopnea syndrome, meaning slowed breathing. About half of all people with Down syndrome have sleep apnea. The effects of sleep apnea are behavioral disturbances such as irritability, trouble with memory, daytime sleepiness. And one of the key hallmarks that we hear about somebody who suffers from sleep apnea is that they have a lot of snoring. Due to the congenital changes that we see in the oral airway of adults with Down syndrome, the natural variants, there seems to be a predilection to developing sleep apnea. I have had half a dozen patients with Down syndrome who were having irritability and outbursts and frustration and tiredness who we referred to a sleep clinic were underwent sleep testing, sometimes in a sleep center, sometimes at home, were prescribed a device called a CPAP machine, which you wear a mask at night that provides oxygen through the night, and a lot of their symptoms from sleep apnea resolved. The reason they came to our clinic, which I'll mention later, is to evaluate their memory. And it, it's amazing because in the typical population, people sometimes can't even tolerate the CPAP device. And here we have adults with Down syndrome who are doing just fine with it. <clears throat> Seizures. 
seizures occur in about 6% of children with Down syndrome and about 9% of adults with Down syndrome. And seizures come in different forms. Seizures are greatly increased in adult with Down syndrome who has dementia. And there are two peaks, this childhood onset and the adult onset. And the childhood form is typically an infantile spasm. It's a, it's a moment where the child loses um, control of their head or their body and they seem to nod off and then they pop up again. And this can occur many times throughout the day and is treatable. Pediatricians are typically screening for this issue. But the more serious kind of seizure, the one that's also seen in the general population, is the tonic-clonic seizure. This is where there is stiffening and shaking of the body, which may last 10 to 30 seconds or even longer. <clears throat> when this occurs unprovoked repeatedly, we call it epilepsy. And there are treatments for epilepsy, and UCSC has an epilepsy center, a very large center, but this can be treated as well. Karen made a comment, which is that people with Down syndrome are getting, getting better access to care and are living longer. This is attributable to less institutionalization, more mainstreaming, the um, perspective of physicians and healthcare workers and families and the desires of everyone to bring all that's available in the healthcare world to all individuals. In 1983, the median lifespan for somebody with Down syndrome was 25 years. In 1997, 49. And in 2005, which is over 10 years ago, 61. This is miraculous. It's incredible. With this, however, comes some consequences of living longer. Consequences that we see in the typical population as well. We call them disorders of age. Mental and physical slowing, dementia. The Down syndrome population, the parents are sometimes older who have been very involved and they have trouble providing the support that's needed. I'm very proud to have been involved with the NOAA Homes Project in the South County where two of the first dementia homes in the nation were built for adults with Down syndrome so that as they age, they can age at home. It serves as a model for other homes that are being developed throughout the country now. Let's get to the meat of the matter. This is a question that is asked repeatedly. What is the risk of getting dementia? Let's take a step back and say, what is dementia? Dementia, Alzheimer's disease, Dementia comes from the Latin dementis, without thought, the loss of thinking abilities. Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia. About 75% of all cases of dementia are due to Alzheimer's disease, a relentless, progressive neurodegenerative disease where brain cells are injured and die. When somebody has dementia, they need help doing the things that they could do previously. Between the ages of 40 and 49, there is about a 9% prevalence of having dementia in Down syndrome. Between the ages of 50 and 59, it goes up to 36%. <clears throat> Between the 
between the ages of 60 and 69, it's 54%. 54% of all adults between the ages of 60 and 69 show symptoms of dementia. In the general population, over the age of 85, one out of three adults has dementia in the United States, five and a half million Americans. So it's a common age-related condition and it seems to occur earlier in people with Down syndrome. I show the 50% to also remind you that 50% of people over the age of 60 with Down syndrome don't have dementia and understanding the reasons why they don't is just as critical to understanding Alzheimer's disease. So I mentioned dementia. Dementia doesn't come on overnight. Dementia takes years. Average is nine years from the diagnosis of mild dementia until the late stage of dementia, 9.4 years. But before a person develops dementia, there are many changes that are occurring in the brain decades before, about 20 years before. And I'll show you what these changes are. But in the typical world, in the typical population, we describe the dementia stage and now the mild cognitive impairment stage and also the preclinical stage. This takes years for someone to traverse from the preclinical stages of Alzheimer's disease where they have the changes in the brain associated with Alzheimer's disease before they show any symptoms. The picture on the left, on the top left, is a picture of the brain. Imagine you're looking in a mirror. The left side of the brain, the right side of the brain, the outer part of the brain seems to be a bit darker. That's a darker ribbon called the cortex. In Latin, cortex means bark, like the bark of a tree. The outer bark, where the majority of the 100 billion neurons of your brain are located. As you follow that cortex into the middle part of the brain, you'll see there's a line that says hippocampus. And the hippocampus is a critical part of the brain related to memory formation. If you take a section of that brain tissue and look at it under a microscope, you'll see on the bottom left these black uh, spots. Those are the actual brain cells, in this case, pyramidal neurons, that are carrying out the functioning of thinking, memory, language, calculations, problem solving. If you look at the picture on the right, you'll see that this is an Alzheimer's brain, and here the brain is smaller. When brain cells are injured and died, the brain atrophies or shrinks. You'll notice that ribbon, the cortex, is thinner. And as you follow it towards the inner part of the brain and search for the hippocampus, you see that it is, in fact, absent. It is this finding that is thought to explain why the cardinal symptom of Alzheimer's disease is memory loss. The hippocampus is the first part of the brain to be injured and the one that is most devastated. When you take a piece of tissue from the brain of an Alzheimer's patient and you look at it under a microscope, you see an image similar to that on the bottom right. You see plaques, those brown blobs. And if you magnify further and you look inside of neurons, you see tangles. Now this had been seen by Dr. Lois Alzheimer 100 years ago. It was not until 1981 when researchers right here at UC San Diego were able to pull apart the constituents of these plaques. 
And they looked at them in brains from people with Down syndrome and Alzheimer's disease, Drs. Glenner and Wong. And they published a paper, they published a series of papers and said that the constituents of what we see in these plaques in the general population with dementia is the same as in the plaques that we see in people with Down syndrome. And that paper, those series of papers, sparked a race of researchers to look for a genetic component to Alzheimer's disease. That was a seminal contribution of the Downs population to the world of Alzheimer's disease 30 years ago. And the race was won by multiple teams. Rudy Tanzi at Harvard and other researchers found that there are genetic mutations that occur in a gene on the 21st chromosome. And when there's a mutation in that gene, one of those three genes on the 21st chromosome, the individual develops an autosomal dominant, an early onset form of Alzheimer's disease. Maybe you have heard about some populations who get Alzheimer's disease in their 30s and 40s, similar to the onset that we see in Down syndrome. Those individuals all have a mutation that leads to an overproduction of a protein in the brain called beta amyloid. That's the constituent that Glenner and Wong identified. These plaques are tombstones. They are a late stage change of the brain reflecting the end stages of Alzheimer's disease. Prior to the deposition of these plaques, there are bits of beta amyloid that are circulating through the brain causing trouble. And that is the target of some of the most innovative treatments to not only treat, but prevent Alzheimer's dementia. One of the studies that's being conducted at UCSD is a treatment with a vaccine that targets that beta amyloid, harnessing the immune system of the individual to attack and remove the beta amyloid that we think is toxic and leads to Alzheimer's dementia. I'm going to switch gears now and talk more about dementia and Down syndrome. There have been a few papers published. We published guidelines about seven years ago on diagnosing dementia in people with Down syndrome. It was the national task group that was mentioned earlier. And it turns out that there are a whole list of things that can be a sign of possible dementia in somebody, whether they have Down syndrome or not. The key is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness, whether it's in a typical person or somebody with Down syndrome. I can give you many examples of somebody with Down syndrome, for example, who has a job and they go to their day program and they're doing fantastic and all of a sudden it's noticed that they're forgetting how to do something that they have done perfectly well for many years and now they're having trouble with it. That's a red flag to talk to your doctor about. It's not Alzheimer's disease. It doesn't have to be. It could be depression. It could be a thyroid problem. It could be sleep apnea. But it needs to be checked. The other one, besides forgetfulness, is the loss of daily living skills. Knowing how to do things around the house, putting clothes away, showering, interacting with the remote control or the cell phone. And then there's a whole other list below that that are more uh, profound. 
and more obvious. In medicine, when we see someone with a condition, we say there's a differential diagnosis for this condition. There's a list of possibilities. And when somebody presents with the syndrome of dementia, there is a host of differential diagnoses. Depression, anxiety, medical disorders, sensory problems, which I've mentioned, and medications. Some medications carry with them side effects that can make someone have trouble with their thinking and memory. It's always a balancing act of choosing a medication knowing its side effects versus the benefit that would be achieved in terms of efficacy. Depression is sort of an elephant in the room. Depression needs to be addressed. It needs to be talked about. There may be sadness or apathy, appetite changes, sleep changes, loss of interest in normal activities and interests, <clears throat> withdrawal. Depression can be triggered by many things. Loss of a family member, change in a roommate at a group home, retirement of a caregiver, loss of a parent, of course, change in a sibling who lives in the home who goes off to college. Life changes can affect people with Down syndrome more profoundly. How many of you are familiar with self-talk? Have observed it? We all do self-talk. Some of us do it internally. Some of us do it externally. It's common. The problem is there are physicians out there who treat this as a disease and treat it with antipsychotic medication. There's a lack of understanding that this is a normal, important, developmental process for processing daily events. Usually it's private, occurring behind closed doors. The amount of self-talk reflects the level of activities, stress, emotions that one has confronted that day. Frequency should be monitored. Changes in the content should be monitored. We have identified individuals who are being a... Uh, who were being abused through careful monitoring of self-talk by family members. It's situational, typically. Um, it allows adults with Down syndrome to vent, vent their feelings. But it should not be mistaken as psychosis, but rather a normal reflection of a developmental process that is a clue to the inner thinking of that individual and if there is a change in that, it may be reflecting a very important situational change. And it should be pursued further. What's going on? How do we diagnose dementia in adults with Down syndrome? <clears throat> we ask about changes in functioning. We talk to family members and caregivers. We'll call family members in other states, if necessary, to find out what were things like before. We'll do a neurological examination. There are rare, rare occurrences of other conditions that can mimic dementia that are neurological. For example, strokes, very rare. But the big causes, thyroid problems, 
vitamin B12 deficiency, sleep apnea. These are things that we check for. <clears throat> there are medications that are FDA approved for dementia, for Alzheimer's dementia. The most famous one you've probably heard of is Aricept. It's been around for 21 years. It may be recommended for adults with Down syndrome who are showing symptoms of Alzheimer's dementia. It has limited effect. It has limited effect in the typical population and it has limited effect in the Down syndrome population. There have been eight papers published on the efficacy of Aricept in the Down syndrome population and uh, all of these studies are less than 30 participants. Many of them don't even have a placebo group. Only one does. So it can be offered, but in fact, there's very limited treatments in Down syndrome dementia and in general population dementia. <clears throat> so I wanna, I wanna wrap up by saying that there are neurological issues that are confronted by adults with Down syndrome, but these neurological issues Many of them are treatable. Vision, hearing, they should be checked. Change in function, particularly at a day program, should be attended to. More questions should be asked. Make sure you're following up the primary care physician. Routine blood tests. Here at UCSD, we have a sleep clinic. We have an epilepsy clinic. We have ophthalmology, endocrinology, and all of these services are available to see adults with Down syndrome who may be experiencing symptoms. The Adult Down Syndrome Clinic, which was really initiated when Dr. Mobley came to UCSD and caused a ground shift at UCSD in terms of our work on Alzheimer's disease in Down syndrome is focused on identifying just the things that we've been talking about. Change in function, change in thinking. And if there is a treatment, we would make the recommendations. So with that, I'll stop there. And thank you for your attention. <clears throat>